church, take the Bibles and let's open them up to Romans chapter 11. I'm not going to quite finish out chapter 11 today. I'm going to get pretty close. Uh, we're going to um, work through verses 25 through 32 today. And next week we'll wrap up chapter 11 with verses 33 through 36. So as we start this morning, I think the, the best way to summarize this section from 25 to 32, I think the best way to summarize this section is really to, to quote the first and the last phrase of this section. For instance, it says in verse number 25, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Then it closes out in verse number 32, For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. As difficult as it may be to understand, uh, God's handling of the Jews and the Gentiles is intended to expose everyone to his mercy. And everyone who responds by faith will receive His grace, and they will be renewed and restored into a right relationship with the Father. And so, verse 25 through, really verse 31, are perhaps the most important passage in this letter, and perhaps even the entire Bible, in respect to the restoration of Jews to Jesus. And so, verse 25 says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Let's begin with that word mystery. The word mystery in the Bible is not really as we understand that word in our language today. When we hear the word mystery, we typically think of something that is impossible or too difficult for us to understand or comprehend. But a biblical mystery is slightly different. A biblical mystery means that something that was previously unknown is now revealed. Something that was hidden is now made known. Or something that was kept in secret is now proclaimed publicly. So the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery 21 times throughout his letters. In each case, the mystery involved a wonderful declaration of spiritual truth revealed by God to him through divine inspiration. And so what's the mystery of our text this morning? He answers it. He says the mystery is that a partial partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Paul wanted to make sure that his Gentile audience knew the mystery concerning Israel. So that that Gentile audience would be wise in their own estimation. So they wouldn't be all arrogant and puffed up that salvation was now being extended and available unto them. The mystery means that God sovereignly chose to temporarily set Israel aside. 
He did so in order to to show grace and mercy to Gentiles. So that reality was no basis for conceit on the part of the Gentiles. It, It was used or designed to display the glory of God. So we need to understand that this hardening of Israel as a nation was neither total nor was it final. The hardening hardening of Israel is both partial and temporary. In fact, verse number 25 reveals those two specific aspects of Israel's hardening. Because in it we see that it's partial. Or some of your translations might read it's in part. It's partial or in part because going back to verse number 5, we're told that there is a remnant chosen by God's grace. So it's it's partial. It's not 100% across the board. And then we also know that uh, this hardening is temporary. It's temporary because it will end when God sovereignly when his sovereignly chosen number of Gentiles have been saved, then we'll know that this hardening of Israel will come to an end. And Paul says it like this. He says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Which very strongly suggests that there is a terminal point to this partial hardening. And so when Paul says that Israel has experienced a partial hardening, I want you to understand that he's not referring to spiritual Israel. He's not talking about the church. No, he's talking about ethnic Israel. He's talking about the biological descendants of Abraham. That's the hardening. That's to, to whom the, the hardening is in place. And so how long will this hardening last? All we're told is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So how are we to in- interpret or understand the fullness of Gentiles as it comes in? What does that mean? Well, elsewhere we kind of get a, a little bit of glimpse or understanding. We understand in Luke's writing in Luke chapter 21, that Jesus says in Jerusalem, will, chapter 21, verse 24, Jesus says in Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, so here, what, what does it mean for the times of the Gentiles to be fulfilled? I think it goes like this. God began... Uh, uh, with the Jewish nation as his chosen people. But the Jewish nation, in large measure, falls into apostasy. And so the, the olive tree that, that, that God cultivated ultimately becomes rotten, and God begins to, to break off those dead, non-fruit-bearing branches. God doesn't cut down the tree and plant a new tree, no, he removes the, the dead branches from that tree and then he grafts in new branches. He, he, he grafts in those wild olive branches. He, he grafts in the Gentile, the believing Gentiles. 
He grafts them into the community of faith. And so when the last wild olive branch, whenever that is, when that last wild olive branch is grafted into the cultivated tree, God is going to do something amazingly among those branches that were once removed. He's going to do something amazingly among the unbelieving ethnic Jews. What what happens next? When that last wild olive branch is grafted in, then the partial hardening of Israel will be removed. And the text says, all of Israel will be saved. Verse 26 says, and so all Israel will be saved. What exactly does that mean? All. That's a tough one. Some would say, well, all means all. Someone even uh, wrote a book and it was like, all means all, and that's all all means. So does this mean that every single ethnic Jew throughout the course of history will be saved? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. I'll give you a couple of reasons. But while that interpretation doesn't fit within the text, first of all, consider the, the central verse of this entire letter. One could argue that the central verse is all the way back in chapter 1, verse number 16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the entire message of of Romans is that salvation is available to everyone if they believe. You're not saved because uh, one is an ethnic descendant from the family of Abraham. No, you're saved because you personally confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And so then consider this, point number two, the prayer of Paul that begins this entire literary unit. Go all the way back to chapter 9. What does Paul say in chapter 9? Beginning in verse number 1, he says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Then he says that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory of the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. Consider, why would Paul be so burdened and overwhelmed with grief and sorrow over the spiritual dullness and separation rejection of Israel in chapter 9 if just two chapters later he's going to end up saying, it's all good, all Israel will be saved. 
It doesn't match. It doesn't fit. It doesn't flow with consistency. So, since all can't possibly mean literally everyone, then what does it mean? I would argue that that word all means a significant large number of people. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. I'll give you an example. Mark chapter 1, verse 4 says that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse number 5, we're told in all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And, And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. So obviously, not every single individual in the country of Judea, not every single individual in the city of Jerusalem were were baptized by by John the Baptist. I think we read that, and I think we get that. I think we understand what, what it's talking about. It's talking about a significant number of people. And so, while we get that, we understand that, I think when we get to Romans chapter 11, verse number 26, that if we're not careful, then we'll end up making wrong assumptions and applications. I believe that this phrase is best understood to represent a significant number, I'll even get specific, a significant number of ethnic Jews at the end of the age. And so before Jesus wraps it all up, before Jesus returns to establish a new heaven and a new earth, I believe that there will be an end gathering of a significant number of ethnic Jews. And I notice I've switched the terms a little here. I, I use the term Jew rather than Israel. And I use that term in order to try to help us to understand that I'm not talking about spiritual Israel. It's not talking about the church. It's not even, it's not talking about spiritual Israel, nor is it talking about geopolitical Israel. No, no. I'm talking about the direct descendants of Abraham, ethnic Jews. And so before Jesus returns, I believe it is clear that there will be a a large gathering of believing ethnic Jews. I believe a large number of ethnic Jews will respond positively to the gospel. Israel will be open to the gospel, much like the Gentiles are open to the gospel today. And to confirm this, notice what Paul says in verse 26 and 27. Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 59. The first quote comes from Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. Uh, The second quote comes from Isaiah chapter 27, verse number 9. And so back to verse 26, he says, And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. 
And then the other quote, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. For the first and only time in this letter to the Romans, Paul speaks about the second coming of our Savior. And at that time, Jesus will purge Israel. Here, it's being identified as Jacob or the descendants or ancestors of Jacob. He'll purge Israel from ungodliness. God's promise to take away sins is a helpful description of what forgiveness looks like. See, because we often continue to remember our sins long after we've confessed those sins, I think we have a tendency to think that God remembers them like we remember them. But in reality, the Scripture promises the exact opposite. It's a great promise given to us in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 15 through 17. This is what it says. It says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their minds I will write them. He then says, Hebrews 10, verse number 17, And their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The promise, the promise is, I will remember no more. God's promise to remember no more is not the same thing as forgetting. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Everything in the past, in the present, and everything that is to come. He knows everything. Yet, when we seek and receive His forgiveness when we repent and confess and seek His forgiveness from our sins, then He chooses to no longer remember our offense. Which is to say that He no longer holds that sin against us. This is helpful for us. Because in human relationships, like, like we could choose to either remember the offense of others, or we can choose to remember no more the offense of others. There's a difference between forgetting and choosing not to remember. Forgetting is passive. It can't be controlled by the will. Ah, but choosing to remember no more is active. That is something that we can control. And so when we forgive others we choose not to remember the offense which means we're not going to talk about it we're not going to look for every opportunity to bring it up we're not going to look for every opportunity to remind the offender of the offense that we've already said we've forgiven them of we're going to choose to remember no more so while we don't actually forget the sin it's not as though we're unable to recall the offense. We do choose to overlook it and move forward in faith. 
ultimately, if at all possible, seeking reconciliation in and through the entire process. Continuing in our text, verse 28 says that from the standpoint of the gospel, they, talking about the majority of the ethnic Jews, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they, the majority of ethnic Jews, are beloved for the sake of the fathers. In order to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, God had to deal with Israel corporately as his enemies. But in relation to God's choice, in relation to God's election, in relation to God's covenant with Abraham, Israel is beloved. To God, the Jewish people are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And then in verse number 29, actually verse number 29 gives us another reason while this hardening is only temporary. Verse 29 says, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Ooh, that's a good word. In other words, no matter what, God is going to keep His promise. He's faithful. He is true. He will always follow through with His Word. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I would point out, it says irrevocable, not irresistible. Well, God will not take back what He has offered. We're certainly able to reject His gift of salvation. Continuing in verse number 30, it says, For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So the Gentiles were, were disobedient before they knew God, but they received God's mercy, His offer of salvation, because Israel was disobedient to God. So it went beyond the Jews unto the Gentiles. Verse 31 says, So these also now have been disobedient. He's talking about the majority of the unbelieving ethnic Jews. That because of the mercy shown to you, they also, non-believing ethnic Jews, they also may be shown mercy. Paul has repeatedly reminded the Gentiles that their belief in Jesus would be used to provoke the unbelieving ethnic Jewish people to jealousy. It would provoke them to jealousy and ultimately drive them to Jesus. He talks about it in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. 19, my bad. Romans 10, 19. In chapter 11, he, he talked about it in verse number 11. Again in verse number 14. And so verse 32 wraps it up and he says, For God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. Think about it this way. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, we receive the promise that God is going to send a Redeemer from the seed of a woman. And then by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, God enters into a covenant with Abraham. Abraham who becomes the first Jew. 
And so salvation history follows this Jewish line all the way up to the arrival of the Jewish Messiah. All the way up to Jesus. I hope you understand that the vast majority of salvific history is Jewish, not Gentile. Gentiles were, for the, mass, for the vast majority, Gentiles were on the outside. Yes, there were a few who believed. There were a few. Uh, those few were far and few. But the vast majority of believers were Jewish. Well, Paul talks about this elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11 and 12, he says it like this, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, this was the majority of salvific history for the Gentiles. It was all Jewish. Jewish patriarchs. Jewish priests. Jewish prophets. Jewish kings. For the majority of history, it was Israel, 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 with a few believing Gentiles here and there. But then, suddenly it, it changes. Suddenly in the, in the lifetime of Paul, there is a dramatic shift. Now the, the Jews have rejected the Messiah now salvation history looks a lot different today. Now it's Gentiles, 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 Gentiles with a scattering of believing Jewish people, a remnant that still remains. And so Paul warns us not to be proud, not to be arrogant. Don't get all puffed up because of this newfound status in the history of salvation. Don't start thinking that you're more special or you're more deserving than the Jewish people. Oh, the reality is, is that our salvation is also working to stir them to jealousy. And, and there will come a day when all of this is going to come full circle. And in that day, a significant number of unbelieving ethnic Jews will submit and surrender their lives unto our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see how God's plan works out. The Jews were given the blessing, and yet they rejected the blessing. And so the blessing is now extended unto the Gentiles. The Gentiles are brought in, remember, Wild olive branches that are now grafted into the cultivated tree. But after that time, when the fullness of believing Gentiles have come in, the Jews are going to be brought back into the olive tree. How amazing is that? That's why it all 
culminates to this climax here at verse number 11. And this is, I mean, chapter 11, verse number 33. And this is where we'll pick up next week. I'll close with this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who can become His counselor or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? Verse 36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. To this church, I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to close this out with a prayer of blessing. We're we're available to talk with anyone. Should you want somebody to talk with, someone to pray with you. Before we're dismissed, a reminder of two things. First of all, uh, for those that are uh, a part of the Love Your Neighbor ministry, you have a meeting immediately following the service right in the classroom on the other side of that wall where the library was. There's a meeting right there. It won't take long, but just make your way there quickly so that you can get that meeting going. Next week, there's also another meeting that's being held for our Overwatch ministry. Our Overwatch ministry is looking for other additional helpers and volunteers. The Overwatch ministry is serves in the same capacity as like first responders to crisis. You can't use terms like that to paint the picture, but to help you to understand what it is, it's providing security overwatch uh, for the church gatherings as well as training individuals to respond to uh, emergencies or medical needs of that, that, that may arise. And so if you're interested in learning more about that ministry, there'll be a meeting following the service next week. But today's meeting is Love Your Neighbor in the library right out there. I'm going to pray us out and then encourage you to, to head that way. Oh, and everybody that's going to Hawaii, we have a meeting. We'll just gather right over there with Joel and Catherine uh, immediately following the service. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are God, thank you for the great joy and privilege of opening up your word. And Father, I pray that as we study your word, that we don't just rely on this teaching one time a week whenever we get here to to build us up. God, I pray that we are constantly in your word. God, if we're not, instill within us that discipline to studying your word. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this church for what you've called us to do. God, help us to walk in love and in unity and carrying out the purpose that you have us here for. Ultimately, Father, we believe that we exist to glorify you, to make disciples of your Son through the preaching, teaching, and proclamation of your word and by serving one another in grace, love, and truth. God, help each and every one of us to fully submit and surrender our lives to that mission. Ask your blessings upon us as we go. If it be your will, may we gather again to worship and to glorify and to praise you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. See you next time, church.